Good to see everybody. You know, right now we are in a series. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about discipleship. So discipleship, right, that's kind of a Christian word. We don't hear that a lot outside of the church. What is disciple? It's what is a disciple? It's just someone who is learning from someone else, right, to become like them. And so I was, you know, thinking in my head, what is the time in my life that, you know, I was learning from someone and I remembered there was, um, Jake and I were, were actually the same age, but he was, we both went to Bible college at the same time and he was a couple years ahead of me. He was a homeschooler and graduated early, cheated. No, I'm kidding. And so he was a couple of years ahead of me. And so um, I was the kind of person who always, if I have like, if I know, like when I was in high school, I actually graduated my junior year because I saw how many, you know, credits or whatever you needed. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to draw this out. Let's just do it now. Let's get this over with now. And that's how I was in college as well. I was like, okay, how many credits do I need to get to that bachelor's degree? And then let's just do it as quick as we can. Well, at, at our college, we had our um, classes on at night, and so you could only take two classes per trimester or semester, I don't remember what we did, but um, this one year, they decided we're going to try to add a third class, and I was like, yep, I'm doing it, <laughs> because I don't care what the class is, I'm doing it, because I want to get this done as soon as I can, right? And so um, it was, Jake taught the class, and it was a music theory class. And I didn't care. I wanted the credits, right? And so maybe you guys, you don't realize this, but Jake, he's actually a very proficient musician. Yes, very. And so if you want, you could actually listen to his music. If you can figure out how to spell his name, which is doubtful, you can listen to his music on Spotify. But he's a, he's a very proficient musician, right? And, and I am also a musician. Maybe you didn't know this. Not proficient. <laughs> Mostly inadequate, <laughs> mostly striving, right? But you know, I have, I have some music knowledge, I play different instruments, and so I was like, oh, it's fine, I don't take the class. This is the best part of the class. Our textbook was music theory for dummies. <laughs> you can see how much he thought of us, right, as the students. He was like, I'm going to bring this down to your guys' level here. So I go to the first class, and it's the latest class, so I don't even think it started until like 8.30, 8.45 at night. And um, so you're, it's already kind of late, right? Some of you guys who are under the age of 30 in here are like, that's not late. Well, I'm over the age of 30, so that is late. Um, but, but we, you know, we go to the class, and it's all guys. There's no other females in the class. And so, but I'm like, I'm not intimidated. Everything's going to be fine, right? I go to the class, and most of them are really good musicians. So I'm like, <laughs> sitting there, you know. Well, you know, we have the class. Jake's telling us all about circle of fists. I mean, it seems like uh, mind mapping going on. Circle of fists, circle of fists on the board. And we're all like, yeah, circle of fists, whatever. And so we, we get like a few weeks in and we have like our first big test. We actually had a real test, okay? And so um, we get our results back from our test. 100% failure rate. Every single person in the class failed the test, except I failed the least. And I was so proud of myself. I was looking at the really good musicians in the class and I was like, <laughs> I failed less than you failed. Still, still fail, failed, right? So, so one day after class, Jake goes, hey, Bethany, can you come here for a second? You know, and he's up at his desk, you know, being very professory. And I'm like, comes up and he's like, hey, uh, there's this one guy, he's uh, really struggling in the class. And I'm like, 
seems we're all struggling in the class. You know, like, what one guy, all of us, are struggling in the class? And he goes, but he was struggling the worst. And he said, I was hoping you could, um, you know, just tutor him a little bit. I'm like, tutor him? I failed! Like, what am I going to teach him, right? And so I'm like, what? And so this, this guy, he's, he's an adult, just like me. We're all adults. But I had to pick him up. He didn't have his driver's license. We couldn't even meet to be tutored because I had to go pick him up. I was like, come on, man. First job to pass music theory. Get your driver's license. Just kidding. So I picked him up. We met at Applebee's. I met with him for a while. And then I realized, hopeless cause. This guy, I'm failing it even I know you're not gonna make it. And so I literally recommended he drop the class. I was like, you gotta get out as fast as you can. You have no, no even like concept of a tune going on in your head, right? You know, so I was like, you gotta get out of here. But we're learning about what is a disciple. A disciple is someone who learns from someone, right? To become like them. And obviously what we're talking about is that we are all called to be disciples of Jesus. And we are all called to make disciples, right? That's, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, that is our job, that is our our role. And so last week, Jake introduced us to the four E's. If you've already done Next Track, you were like, old news. I've heard these four E's. I know them. I'm living them, right? Or you're like, at least I heard them, right? But the four E's, the first one is that we have to engage in culture and community. The second one is we establish biblical foundations. The third one is that we equip believers to minister. And the fourth one is that we empower disciples to make disciples. What are these four E's? This is how we become disciples, and this is how we make disciples, right? Last week, we watched a great video from um, Pastor Steve Merle. He was explaining more about the four E's, introducing them. And so actually today, we are going to dive in. We're going to be talking all about engage, how to engage in culture and community. And so um, I'm going to let him explain how to engage first of all. So we're going to watch this quick video. The starting point for making disciples is to engage the culture and community with the gospel of Christ. Luke 15 records three parables that are pertinent to how we engage our culture and community. The first one is a story about a lost coin. Then Jesus tells a story about lost sheep. And finally, a story about a lost son. We know that as the parable of the prodigal son. But what's important is that we see what prompted Jesus to tell these parables or these stories. He didn't just tell stories in a vacuum. There was a reason he responded with the story. Chapter 15, verse 1 sets the context for these stories. And we can really understand the stories and what Jesus was trying to say only by understanding why he told those stories. Luke 15, 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, these tax collectors and sinners, uh, they were not like uh, the tax collectors today, or every culture has its own idea of what sinners are. Uh, in that world, a tax collector was someone who was Jewish and had compromised and collaborated with the pagan Romans, someone who had sort of left the faith or left his own convictions. We would call that person in our contemporary world sort of a backslider. 
That was a tax collector. A sinner was not someone who was out doing um, whatever our culture would think was a bad thing, but a sinner was someone who didn't grow up Jewish, someone from a Greek or a different type of pagan background who didn't know any better. And so what happens, Jesus is hanging out with what we would call today backsliders and unchurched people. People who knew better, those were the tax collectors, and people who didn't know right from wrong, those were what we see as sinners here. Jesus is hanging out with these kind of people. He's eating with them. He's, he's, he's befriending them. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, those are the religious leaders. Those are the people who knew Scripture. Those are the people who were, uh, the society saw them as the most pious and most righteous and most religious people of all. They took exception to the kind of people Jesus was hanging out with. And so in order to explain to these religious leaders why he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus tells three stories. He says there was a lady who lost a coin. And if you lose a coin, then of course you're going to go through the whole house and retrace your steps and turn furniture upside down and do everything you can to find that coin. And then he says that when she found it, she rejoiced. There was a lot of joy. Then he says a shepherd. A shepherd would leave the 99 sheep that he has if one was missing. Now, we don't understand that today. We would say, of course you wouldn't do that. The, keep the 99, don't worry about the one. But a shepherd listening to Jesus' words 2,000 years ago, they understood that the role of the shepherd was to go after the lost, not just to take care of the 99. And unfortunately, a lot of church people today think about the 99, and everything they do in church is all about the church members. And it's all about let's, let's, let's appease the people we have rather than going after the one. And there is a part of engaging our culture and community where we as believers need to leave the 99. We need to leave the church stuff sometimes and engage our culture and community. Jesus was doing exactly that and religious people got upset. And so he explained it from a shepherd's perspective. A shepherd, a good shepherd, at times will leave the 99 and go after the one. And then finally we have that parable of the prodigal son where the son wandered off. Actually there were two prodigals in the story. There was the, there was the the religious son who stayed home and really had a rotten attitude like a lot of religious uh, people do. And then he, there was the rebellious son. And so all of us are sort of a combination of the uh, self-righteous and the rebellious. And both of those were far from their father. Um, the rebellious son, we all know about him, but when he came, turned to come home, his father ran after him and there was rejoicing and there was a big party. Uh, but the other son was alienated because of this, and he, he was not coming and enjoying the celebration. And the scripture tells us in that parable that the father went after him. The father liked leaving the 99 and going after the one, and he went after the self-righteous son. And so whether uh, we're reaching out to people who are religious and self-righteous, or whether we're reaching out to people who are religious rebels, um, what we are supposed to do to start the uh, discipleship process is there's this idea of leave the 99, go after the one, search for the lost coin, go after the rebellious son, go after the self-righteous son, uh, engage the culture and community. That was good, huh? I would have said it longer and worse. So I'm glad he, he did so good. But Jesus was engaging with the culture and the community around him, right? I love what he said when he explained, you know, the religious leaders are saying to him that they're, they're mad that he's with the tax collectors and the sinners. And he explains it. Those are really like the backslidden and unchurched people. And the, in the first verse that he read, um, Luke 15 
Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear them. I love that picture, that they were actually drawn to Jesus. So what was drawing these people to Jesus? And vice versa, right? Well, something that Jesus was doing was really making the religious leaders mad. It was pushing them away. What was Jesus doing? He was engaging with his culture and his community. He was engaging with the people around him. And that is also what we are called to do in however that looks in your context. So really, when we talk about engage, what we're really talking about is evangelism. And evangelism, just like discipleship, it's another like Christian word. And maybe when you hear that word, you immediately get different pictures in your head. You get different thoughts in your head. Maybe they're really great or maybe they're kind of negative, right? We, we just have all of these different ideas of what evangelism is. When uh, Jake and I, we were serving in a youth group for a long time. In this youth group, we did a, a Saturday night big outreach service on top of the normal like youth group night. So this was like an extra service. And so on the Friday night before these big services, we would have evangelism. That's what it was literally called. Like, what do you call this church event? Evangelism, right? That's how, that's, that, if you want to know the inner workings, that's how it goes. We were like, what do we call this prayer and worship night coming up? Prayer and worship night. Perfect. What if we move it to the day? Prayer and worship day. Bingo, right? <laughs> okay, good job. But it was evangelism. And so literally what we did is we just went around in the city and we handed out flyers inviting people to this service that was happening the next day. And um, I hated it. It doesn't, because I hate it, doesn't mean it was bad. It's not like I hated it on an on a intellectual or theological level. No, I just hated it because it was so uncomfortable. I hated walking up to perfect strangers, interrupting whatever they were doing and trying to engage with them and talk to them and invite them to this thing. And I felt horribly guilty about hating it so much, right? Every little piece of me just... Oh, it was so cringy. I could, I, for me personally, I couldn't handle it. And I was just full of guilt every time we had one because I thought, I can't do this. I can't talk to another stranger, right? I can't do this. And so finally one day I decide I'm going to tell Jake. I'm going to tell him how much I hate these. I'm going to confess to him my terrible sin. What a bad Christian I am. And so, I, guys, I'm an extrovert. So for all of you who are like the extroverts like to talk to strangers, and the introverts don't. No, nobody really likes to talk to strangers. Well... Some people do. Strangers like to talk to you, right? But, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting there. Finally, I tell them, I got to tell you, I, I hate these. I hate it. I hate talking to people. I hate interrupting them. I feel like I'm interrupting whatever they're doing, blah, blah, blah. I tell them, and he goes, Bethany, of course you hate it. I hate it too. We all hate it. It's the worst, right? And I'm like, oh, good, good, right? But why am I telling you this? Because you have a picture, most likely if you're a Christian, you have a picture in your head when you hear the word evangelism. And my hope for today is that we can dispel some of the, the misbeliefs, some of the wrong ways that we think about evangelism, that we can kind of dispel those today and we can get a new idea, a new picture. Uh, there's a great quote, we've said it here before, but it's evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. When you really break it down, that's all it is, is that if you have found Christ, if you've chosen Christ, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, it means that at some point, right, you experienced Jesus. You experienced him, and it made you want to make a life-changing decision 
to choose him, to change your ways, to stop the way you were living, to take a, a 180 turn, right? Whichever way, direction you were going, you decided, no, I'm turning towards God. I'm turning towards Jesus. And in your life, how many would you say, I've experienced good things because I chose Jesus. For me, I've experienced peace joy, right? Love, unconditional love, acceptance, all of these things. And so what evangelism is, is you being a person who says, I have experienced so much freedom by finding Jesus. Why wouldn't I want other people to know and experience that freedom as well? It's just one beggar telling the other beggars where to find bread. And I think that we have built up a lot of things in our head where we think it's the baker who goes out and gives, the evangelists are the bakers who go out and they give bread to the people. But it's not, it's all of us. It's the beggars. It's not us once we get to a certain point or once we're no longer beggars or once we're totally fixed or once we're ready, right? No, it's just beggars saying, hey, there's bread over there. Are you hungry? I was starving until I found that bread. There's bread right over there. That's all that it is. Everything you do is ministry. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, you know, many times we think, well, it's when I go to the church, it's when I serve, it's when I do this project, that's when I'm ministering. But really, if you are a Christian, then your call is that everything you do is ministry, right? When you uh, wake up in the morning and you are nice to the toddler who's standing in your face asking you for toast, right? Or if you're not nice to them, what, right? You have in that moment... A, a decision to make. Am I going to show the love of God to this person or am I not? When you're at work and you're talking to your boss, am I going to respect them and in that way share the love of God with them, with my coworkers, in the way that I live, in the way that I conduct myself? Am I going to be sharing the love of God Am I going to be sharing what Christ stood for or am I not, right? When I'm out in public, when I am talking to a barista, when I'm talking to a cashier, when I'm talking to students, right? When I'm talking to peers, when I'm talking to neighbors, when I'm talking to roommates, am I get, drawing them closer to Jesus or is how I'm communicating with them pushing them further away? When I'm driving down Beltline, and no, I'm kidding, I won't go there. But your whole life really is ministry. You are either drawing people closer to God by the way that you are acting and conducting yourself, or you're not. And that's really what engaging in culture and community is about, is realizing that, man, I have this opportunity. The word Christian literally means Christ-like. That's our call, right? No big deal, huh? Just to be Christ-like? No, it's super hard. It's super difficult. But we wake up every morning and we have an opportunity to choose to try to be more like Christ or to choose not to be. And that should be in every situation that we are in. So really what we have to ask ourselves is that if my whole life is ministry, how am I doing? How am I doing at that? Am I like Bethany in the music theory class? <laughs> Everyone's failing? Or am I doing pretty good, right? How am I doing? Uh, I want to read you guys this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. 
It says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Um, in my notes, I had this verse twice. I'm going to read it again in a different translation. And uh, Daniel, he's doing our media today. Sorry, I'm, I'm putting attention on you. Whoops, sorry. But anyways, he was like, uh, you put the scripture, you have the wrong reference here. It's the same reference. And I was like, oh, sorry, it's the same scripture. It's super weird, but good catch. <laughs> Normally we don't do that. But I wanted to read you this in another translation. And so it says, in other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. What we heard from Pastor Steve Merle, right? About the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, right? We see from those parables that God's heart is for the lost. He, last week, Jake made a really great example. He talked about we have three kids, right? If we lost one of them, we wouldn't be content to just say, two out of three is pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, we're passing, right? We're doing pretty good, right? That's not the way it works. And yet, so many times, if we're, if we're Christians and we're in church, we don't understand why all of this focus on the lost. Shouldn't we just be building up here, protecting what we have? But God's focus is always going to be on the lost. Just like our focus would always be on that kid who's not there. Right? He feels the exact same way. His heart is not satisfied with having lost sons. And so that's what he's saying. You've been given this ministry of reconciliation. If what he's saying is that Christ, right, was given this ministry. We were broken in our sin. Our relationship with God was damaged. That's what Jesus did when he came on the earth. He reconciled us back into relationship with God. And once you choose that, that relationship, now it's your job to go and help other people be reconciled to God. And this verse is so poignant when it's talking about that through our own lips, when we tell people, come back to God, that it's literally like Christ speaking through us. Come back to God. An ambassador, right, it's, it's a person. We, if I was an ambassador, I don't, no one would ever choose me to do this, but if I was an ambassador of the United States, you know, living in the, in the UK, right, I could be walking on the streets of London, but I'm not representing the queen. I'm not representing London. Actually, wherever I went in that, in that city, I would be representing a different kingdom. I'd be representing the United States. And this is what God is comparing us to as Christians, when he says you're an ambassador, what he's saying is those things that you think, this is what I identify as first and foremost. Maybe for you, it's your gender, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your socioeconomic status, right? Whatever it is, your role in life that you say, this is who I am. When I show up, this is who I am. What God is saying is that no, once you become a Christian, your very first role is you're an ambassador of a different kingdom. 
that everywhere I step in Eugene, everywhere I step in Springfield, everywhere I go, I'm not representing Bethany. I'm not representing first and foremost Schmelzers, right? No, I'm representing Christ. That's my job. That's my role is that every place that I go, I would be an ambassador of him, that I wouldn't be swayed by what's going on politically. I wouldn't be swayed by what's going on in in the economy. I'm not going to be swayed by what's going on in the different tumult of the world because I know I don't even belong to this kingdom. I belong to a different kingdom. I represent the kingdom of heaven. I represent the kingdom of God. And that is what he's saying every single one of us are supposed to do. You are an ambassador. Everywhere you go, you are supposed to be representing Christ. That's a lot of pressure. Can we just admit that? That's a lot of pressure. It seems like maybe too much, right? But guess what? God uses us in our flaws. He uses us as imperfect, broken people who don't exactly look like Christ yet. And he wants to use you. So many times we think, well, when I get to this better level of following Christ, then I can do the things. We think that once I am mature, then I can minister. But the truth is, is that ministry produces maturity. As you begin to engage with the culture and the community around you, as you begin to strive to look and be like Christ, you will become more mature. You will begin to change, right? In, in the music theory class, I was the best, worst student. I was the best, worst disciple. And maybe with Jesus, I'm the best, worst disciple. But he can still use me. He can still use me. I was thinking when he told me to tutor this kid, what are you thinking? What can I teach him? I'm already failing. I can help him fail less. I couldn't. He was hopeless. But <laughs> it was Christianity, maybe I could have helped him. Music, like, no, you're hopeless. Sorry, sir. But that's, that's really how each and every one of us should feel, right? Jesus, I might be your best worst student, but I can still help someone. I can still minister. I can still disciple. And as I take the risk every day, as I'm courageous to speak the truth, as I'm courageous to look more like you, I'm going to mature. I'm going to mature. Shauna Nyquist, could be Nyquist. I don't know how to say her name. She said, if we allow the gospel to be told only on Sundays, only in sanctuaries, only by approved and educated professionals, that life-changing story will lose its ability to change lives. You know, Jake and I, early in our marriage, we uh, heard the teaching from Robert Morris. It's called The Blessed Life. It's all about giving. It's, you know, being a uh, kind of like a super giver. <laughs> really, you know, this guy really affected us. He had this kind of quote or motto or prayer with God where he said, God, talking about money, if you can get the money to me, you can get it through me. Basically saying, I'm not going to be a person who holds on to it. So if you bless my life financially, I won't just hoard it. You can get it through me. I'm going to be a super giver. I'm just going to give, live radically, that sort of thing. And, and that really, you know, affected us and, and changed us early in our life. But you know, the first time I read that Second Corinthians where, where God is pleading through you, come back to Christ. I read that verse probably so many times in my life. But the first time that hit me, so hard that, okay, no, they're saying Christ 
when I, I tell people, come back to God, it's literally Christ speaking through me. When that hit me really for the first time, I kind of started changing that motto that if God got his gospel to you, can he get it through you? And that's really today what it's all about, is that if you're a Christian sitting in this room, that means that at some point in your life, God got his gospel to you. And now he's just asking you, can I get it through you? Can I get my gospel through you? Each of us is commanded to reach the lost, not suggested. Each of us is commanded to reach the lost. But thank God, how we all do it is going to be different. And that's okay. I no longer go and interrupt people by giving them flyers on Friday nights. Praise the Lord. I don't ever want to do it again. Maybe you do, and I'm so happy for you, but I don't. I don't ever want to do that again, right? Because every single one of us, how God wants to use you in your sphere, in your culture, in your community, he wants to use you specifically. And so I just have a few um, really practical ways, ways to engage. The first one is just engage in real relationships with coworkers, neighbors, relatives and peers. Just engage in real relationship. Most of our relationships are shallow. Most of our relationships aren't real. Most of us don't take the time to actually speak to the person who's ringing up our groceries, to look them in the eye, to talk to them, to treat them like a real human being, right? But that's really the first step. Just engage in real relationship with the people who are already around you. Um, Christine Hoover said, hospitality breaks through multi-layered barriers that Western culture erects. Physical barriers that keep us apart, almost hibernating in our homes, emotional barriers of isolation, individualism, independence, and loneliness, and spiritual barriers that make us avoid any heartfelt conversation or disclosure of needs. Hospitality, if well done, promotes physical togetherness, relationships, and spiritual community. Hospitality then is our joy and opportunity. By inviting people into our homes and our hearts, we depict our own spiritual aliveness and togetherness. Where we once were alienated from God, now we are reconciled. Where once our relationships were broken by sin, now we have been made whole by grace and forgiveness. Hospitality practiced by Christ followers dis displays the gospel. You know, I um, have been a little bit prideful, I'm going to be honest with you, in how I felt like I was reaching to my neighbors. We moved into our home about four years ago, and when we moved into that, that home, I was like strategic about how I was going to reach my neighbors. And so I, honestly, I felt pretty proud about it. Like, I know I'm not the best, but I'm doing way better than most Christians at this. <laughs> right? I'm the best failure here, right? I really was. I was kind of puffed up with pride. And I, we did, we did um, neighborhood potlucks. We did, we've done neighborhood Easter egg hunts for kids. We've, I've made cookies for neighbors. I've um, shared all my veggies from my garden with neighbors. I check in on people. I find out their names. I'm trying to engage in real relationships. And, and sadly, most of my neighbors are Christians, I've found at this point. One I was interceding for for months because I thought he was my only neighbor who wasn't a Christian. And then he put a Say, put, put Christ back in Christmas sign the first Christmas we were there. And I was like, dang it. Oh. Got to look for a new one, right? 
But I was really, I was like, I'm, I mean, I've been strategic. I'm working. I'm working these neighbors, right? And then last spring, when the shutdown first was happening, uh, I have the neighbor that I'm closest to. I know her the most. She's a wonderful Christian, awesome lady. And we were outside talking. Our kids are kind of near the same age, so they were playing out in the road, you know, like healthy humans. We let them play in the street. But um, they were playing in the road together, and we were just talking, you know, and all of a sudden, she starts to tell me about all of these neighbors further in the neighborhood I haven't even met yet. And there's some that I have met. She knows everything about them. And not like in a gossipy way. She knew who their grown-up kids are. She knows about their history. She knows about their beliefs. She knows how, how you know, their journey of G- following Jesus. She knows their needs. She's regularly giving out uh, cookies. She's regularly giving out food. She does shopping for some of them. I mean, she's like on it. And in that moment, I was so humbled. Or you know what the other word would be? Humiliated. <laughs> how prideful I was. I was like... I swooped into this neighborhood like a hot shot. When this lady has just been engaging these neighbors for years. Why? So that she might win them. So that she might show them the love of God. I am running out of time, but I'm going to tell you guys these these two great quotes really quick. It says, our post-Christian neighbors need to hear and see and taste and feel authentic Christianity. Hospitality spreading from every Christian home that includes neighbors in prayer, food, fellowship, childcare, dog walking, and all the daily matters upon which friendships are built. And then we live in a world that highly values functionality. But there is such a thing as being too functional. When we are too functional, we forget that the Christian life is a calling, not a performance. Hospitality is necessary whether you have cat hair on the couch or not. People will die of chronic loneliness sooner than they will die cat hair in the soup. We don't have any cats, so if I ever give you soup and there's cat hair, please tell me. (laughs) We have to find out where it came from. Everyone around you in your life is desperate, they're lonely, and guess what, we have the answer. But it takes us exemplifying Christ. It takes us not being consumed with worry, right? I'm not trying to project a perfect life. I'm not trying to project that I'm a perfect mom. If you've seen me, you know I'm not, (laughs) right? I'm not trying to put that I'm perfect to my neighbors. In fact, I'm trying to show them that I'm real, but I have been really changed by Jesus, and they can be really changed. I'm gonna go through the last few really quick. The second one is be an inviter. Just be an inviter. Everywhere you go, invite people. Maybe you say, hey, I'm, I, don't, I don't really wanna share the gospel. Invite them to church. Just be an inviter. My first job was at Pizza Hut. I was 16 years old, just turned 16, so I thought I better get a job. I got a job at Pizza Hut. I was the cook. There was a lady there, and I was a Christian. I went to church. I loved God. I was, like, really devoted Christian. But this lady there, she invited me to, actually, Jake's church. (laughs) I didn't go to his church. But she invited me to his church every single time I worked. And I would be like, lady, I'm not kidding to you. I'm not kidding when I tell you I already am part of my church. Like, literally part. I go every week. I'm not a backslider. I really go, you know, but she's still every event they had, every single thing. I only worked there for two months. And this lady, 
I mean, it bothered me. I was like, please believe me. I love Jesus. Leave me alone. <laughs> right? But eventually, I, I did go to Jay's church, Joy Church in Medford, and I met this lady, and she's like a dear woman. I love her. I know her right now. And I realized, man, it was in her. No matter what, she was saying, I'm not going to let any of these coworkers not have an opportunity to meet Jesus. Yeah. And this punk 16-year-old here making pizzas, she needs to find Jesus. She didn't care how many times I said no, she was an inviter. She was going to make sure I had an opportunity to meet Jesus. Serve in the community. This is an easy way to, to, to make a difference, to engage in the culture and community. Just serve somewhere in the community. I put down just some of the, the ways that I've seen a lot of you guys already serving in the community. The first one I put is Sheds of Hope. There's a lot of you guys already building these sheds for the people in Blue River who lost their homes. That's a beautiful way to show the love of God to people. Um, the Eugene Mission, so many of you guys have served in the Life Change Program, just serving our community to show them the love of Jesus. Every child, we come, they come and they help DHS, they come and they come alongside and they help foster families, showing them the love of Jesus. And then uh, a really fun one, the Helping Hands group. It's just a group of guys who do awesome things and build things for people who need them. They just built a whole bunch of desks for Shasta Middle School, which is practical ways. Hey, I know how to build stuff. This isn't one Jake and I can serve in. I built you something that broke before I got here, right? But what do you have? What are you good at? Serve in your community so that you can engage with them, so that you can bring them. And the last thing is just don't write people off. I think it's really easy for us to write people off. And we like to put a measure of how bad someone is failing the test. Well, you failed the test the worst, or you failed the test the best. Right? This person, I hear this all the time. They're really close to G they're really close to becoming a Christian. How? It's one, it's one decision. How how would my sin make me close or less close? We all have sin. So it's just one moment of encountering Jesus that changes everything. And it's so easy for us to write someone off. In your life, just be someone who says, I'm gonna stick with you in the long haul. I have quite a few people in my life. They're not Christians yet. And I'm, I have a bridge of a relationship with them and I don't write them off. It doesn't matter what decisions they make in their life, what turns they make, what they decide to do, that bridge is still there. I'm gonna be stable. I'm gonna be a stable Christian in their life. So at some point when they're ready, I can lead them to Jesus. We've had people in our lives who said, I'm burning the bridge of relationship down. And Jake and I have a commitment. We just rebuild it. Okay, I rebuilt it. Someday if you wanna come back over. I'd love for us to be back in relationship. Why we don't write people off? Don't write people off. Be in it with them for the long haul. That verse I read to you earlier, the very next verse, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. If right now everyone would just bow their head and close their eyes, I just want you to, in your head, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, right now, just think about that time that you met Christ, that time that you encountered him. And maybe it wasn't the very first time, maybe it wasn't the time that you prayed the salvation prayer, but the time that sticks out to you that you encountered Christ and how beautiful that moment was, how life-changing that moment was for you. 
And I just want you to hear, if God got his gospel to you in that moment, can he get it through you? Jesus, would you help each and every one of us to engage in our culture and community around us? Would you help us, God, to be um, Christ-like in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in whatever our life looks like, God? Would you show us, would you open up opportunities, God, as we interact with the world around us to be able to bring people closer to you, God? Would you open our eyes and help us to engage God, people to find you, Lord. God, I'm saying to you that you got your gospel to me, Lord. You can get it through me. Just speak to me what you want me to tell people, Lord, and I will speak it to them. And maybe you're in this room and you say, I'm not a Christ follower. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus came to this earth to reconcile you into a relationship with your creator. He loves you, he made you, and he made you for relationship. And by choosing him, by putting your faith in him, you are saying, God, I wanna be in relationship with the one who created me. So if you're in this room right now and you want to follow Christ, would you just lift up your hand? I don't do this to embarrass you. I do it because it's kind of a faith act for you to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. Thank you. Anyone else in this room, just lift up your hand. All right, we're going to pray a prayer. I just ask that everyone in the room pray it after me. But Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for wanting to be in a relationship with me. Thank you for making me. Thank you for sending Jesus. I put my faith and trust in you, in you alone. I give you my life. Will you show me how to live it? Will you forgive me of the wrong that I've done and the people that I've hurt? Teach me to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.